Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my excellent Red Bull drinking co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. I don't know what that, in- that intro was. <laughs> Gabrielle is out of control. He's doing an Axl Rose impression, apparently. Oh, yeah. I'm on a night train. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! Welcome to the jungle. This is going to be fun, y'all. All right, no, we're we're having a good time here. Uh, where are we going from here? You you do. Oh, where do we go? Where do we go <laughs> there now? You go. Where do we go? Ow, how? Okay. So, so today's episode. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about today, Sadie? So we recently did this AMA on Reddit, which I'm sure our audience has heard us talk about. It got a really amazing response. But one of the things that we noticed is that one of the most common questions was, how do I help someone who is in a cult? People were sharing their just heart-wrenching personal stories about their siblings, their parents, their childhood best friend, someone who they love who's been caught up in a cult. 
caught up in an, an MLM that's predatory, where they're actually losing money, or caught up in a philosophy that's separating them from their family and friends. And you saw some of this on the AMA if you read through the whole thing. But there were also people who reached out to the podcast Reddit account through their messages. There are people who reached out to me personally on social media, and they all had the same question. So for today's episode, we decided to do an episode about what to do if somebody you know is in a cult. And I think Sadie has told enough of her own story that we can take good examples from that, and it will give us a lot of great insight into the future. I would have done this sooner, but I didn't know that so many people would be so interested. Really? Yeah, I just, I, to me, this is, this is kind of boring because this is my life. Like, this is... <laughs> That's so wild. Like, being in a cult, getting out of a cult, helping other people get out of a cult, talking about people who are in cults. Like, this is the fabric of my life. I feel like people really want to know this, though. Like, Well, when, when I realized just yeah. how many people are interested, I was like, okay, let's do an episode. And I'm not a great expert on cult deprogramming, but what I can do is tell you what changed my mind, what would have gotten me out sooner, what support I wish I would have had, and what support I did have that helped me get out of a cult. And I can tell you what I've heard from other people that I've spoken with in many different places on their journey, and I can tell you what changed their minds. That's what we have coming up today. Really excited to talk about this. But before we get to do that, uh, I just got to say the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast. We talk about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. And we talk about the real and present danger that cult ideologies have on society as a whole and our aim for the show is to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought and freedom of religion so if you are a fan of the show you can join our patreon uh, which is going to be patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast on there you will find extended and uncensored episodes of the show a lot of fun there you can join our facebook group uh, which is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus both of those places there's been great discussion lately really exciting oh yeah and before uh, we get into this episode i just need to thank our faith promise missions tier patrons there's five of them now five Count them five. One, two, three, four, five. Same number as the fingers on my hand. We have Dee Dee Keppel, Kathleen Moncrief, Jessica Tambo, Tambo like Rambo, um, Emery, and I'm going to say this right this time, Emery Fairlosser. Emery Fairlosser. Emery Fairlosser. We love you, Emery. Um, and our newest Faith Promise Missions tier patron, Wes Coker. That's like a cowboy name, man. Our, Wes, I hope you're a cowboy. I'm imagining like the just like a, a man with a mustache and then like shoots a gun and then blows the smoke from like the tip of the gun. No, you're right. I, I can see this. Shoots yeah. whiskey. Oh yeah. And says, "Give it to me straight." <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, I can I can totally see that. I think that it is. We can say that it is scientifically proven that our patrons are cooler than the average person and i think it's also completely scientifically proven that our faith promise missions here patrons are not only cooler than the average person but they also have extremely cool names uh wes coker uh if you don't 
ride a horse, then I'm going to be extremely disappointed. Um, but no, thank you. Thank you so much um, to all of our wonderful patrons, especially to our Faith Promise, t- Faith Promise Mission tier patrons. I named the dang thing and I can't say it. <laughs> uh, if you like our show and you are able to financially contribute, we appreciate you so much. But if you like our show and you can't for whatever reason, totally get it. You can do a few things for free to help us out as well. The first thing you can do is leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, give us the five-star rating. Will Hess from Church Split Ooh, Podcast gave us a... Talk about him what? again? Ugh. Yeah, I know. But he I have to say this. He gave us a one-star rating and said that Sadie is, quote-unquote, what bad recovery looks like. Yeah. I'm going to have a guy. t-shirt made of that, actually. Yeah, and he said some slanderous things about us and some admittedly true things about us. Uh, you can uh, read the review and, and or you can just not read it and tell us what. But uh, yeah, we really appreciate people who have left us a good review on Apple Podcasts. If you feel five stars is fair, that's really the best. Like I, I like I feel like I can't feel like I can't ask people to give us five stars because I'm I, I'm like what oh, if they no, only I'm think we're give us the four? five stars? What if they only think five we're stars. worth four though? No, uh, we thank you so much, people who have left us reviews. If you haven't yet, that would be a, a great thing that you can do for free to support us. You can also follow us on social media, like comment on and share our posts to help us with engagement, and you can share our show with your friends, family member, worst enemy. I don't care. Yeah, your worst enemy might learn something from it. Get better. Well, my worst enemy is probably Steven Anderson. <laughs> so, but I, I have a feeling he's already probably heard of us. Now that Jack Scop is rotting away in a prison cell. I mean, Jack Scop is pretty wine. close, but I hate Steven Anderson worse. Anyway, all of those are free ways. I'm just imagining Jack Scop making toilet wine. Jack Scop is apparently a chaplain in prison. Um, I am, oh, but by the way, I am dead serious about going to protest Jack Scott when he gets out of jail in about 15 months. Um, Contact me on social media if you want to be added to a Facebook group where we are going to plan that. Okay, so. We'll go to Louisville, we'll go to the baseball museum, and then we'll go to. I have family in the area, so I'm going to go like visit my family and and protest Jack Scott. We'll get some greasy ass chicken. It'll be delicious. Bourbon. Mm. Yes. So love, many distilleries. Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. Great time. So someone you love, someone you care about, or someone you're just deeply concerned about is in a cult. You've seen their behavior change. You've seen them limit themselves to only certain types of information. More concerningly, you suspect that they're self-brainwashing with thought control and emotion control. Maybe they've even come out and told you about how their thoughts or emotions are being controlled. I think when people or they've like talked about it as like a point of pride, right? They, they they may have mentioned something that lets you know for sure that they are under thought control and emotion control, as well as case behavior and information are more obvious. I think when people want to talk about culty programming, talk about helping people get out of a cult, they really want me to give them like a twelve step program kind of thing. Like, do this, and then do this, and then do that, and then you're done. I think people want me to say, well, your loved one is under a magical spell that makes them think these things that you can clearly see aren't true. And they want me to just give them the antidote, like the reversal spell that will take the blinders off their eyes and make them see straight again. Here's the thing about this, is that if there was a magic bullet, then nobody would be in a cult, right? Right. So... This bears some risk and a lot of care and sensitivity, because if you do this wrong, you may end up 
hurting your relationship with this person in such a way that you may end up pushing them deeper in, which is exactly the opposite of what you want to do, but it is exactly what the cult is going to want you to do. Yes, but I want to be clear, people who want that magic bullet solution, they they don't want that because they're lazy. They want that because they care a lot. People want like an easy, quick fix. And it, it's usually not because they don't want to put in effort. It's because they care so much about their family member, their friend, that they want that person back. It, it's heartbreaking when you realize that somebody that you really care about is an occult because their view of reality is probably very different from yours. I've seen and heard a lot of people express that they feel like they've lost their loved one, that it's almost like their loved one died and someone else is inhabiting their body, but the relationship that used to be there is gone. So before you do any of this, I think it's a good idea to make sure that you are the person that you care about is actually like in a cult. Okay. Like, I mean, that's like, I I don't want to say that's step one. That's like pre-step one. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not just like, oh, this person's joining a religion and I don't like that religion. No, this person's like actually joining a cult that's like mind controlling them. And you can refer to our new listeners primer episode for information on that. It's really in depth. It's from October 23rd. But what you're looking for, if you're trying to determine if someone's joining a cult, it's not just a change in behavior. If someone is truly in a cult, you'll also see them separating information into inside and outside sources and only trusting sources of information that come from inside their group. They will disregard all the outside sources. That's behavior control and emotion control. Thought control and emotion control are a lot harder to see from the outside, but you may be able to see signs of that. If somebody you love comes up to you and says, hi, I'm converting to Islam and I'm going to be wearing a hijab from now on and we can't get pulled pork sliders on Tuesday anymore, uh, but we can go to halal cart instead, which is probably healthier, (laughs) but I still love you and I still want to be your friend. Don't try to use your deprogramming tactics on them because, like, that's not what this is for. They're they're not joining a cult. Like, then you might ruin your friendship. Yeah, here's the thing, though. (laughs) If somebody says, "I'm converting to Islam and I'm going to be wearing a hijab and not eating pork and only trusting my imam to tell me what I should do about my health." not listening to doctors, disregarding medical studies. My mosque is like leadership is going to tell me where to live and whether I can buy a car or not. I'm also not allowed to think certain thoughts or feel certain feelings. And you notice them using buzzwords to control their own thinking. And they tell you how they're being coached to use techniques to control their emotions or redirect their emotions into acceptable emotions. They might be joining a cult. But... If you see all of those signs and you want them to not join a cult, it's not your job to deconvert them from Islam. It's completely acceptable for them to convert to a faith, whether you like it or not. So the the, the pre-step here is not only considering are they in a cult, but considering if you're going to be able to steer them away from whatever cult or cult-like group they're involved with without letting your bias try to completely deconvert them or convert them to whatever you personally believe, whether you're a religious person, agnostic or atheist or whatever, are you going to be able to stop at the point of getting them out of a cult without trying to completely get them to wherever you are? So if you if you think of them as a bowling ball that's been rolled and is about to fall into the gutter and the gutter is a cult, uh, you're like the bumpers in bumper bowling and you're trying to steer, keep them on the lane. But... If you're trying, so that would be trying to keep them out of a cult. 
But if you're trying to convert them to whatever you believe, because you think that's the only right answer, you're not being the bumpers and bumper bowling. You're running down the lane trying to catch a moving bowling ball. And that's not going to be, that's not a good look. I like that analogy. That's a great analogy. Thank you. Thank you. Did you come up with that yourself? Yes, I did. Wow. Oh, thank you. That was, that's excellent. I, I really like that analogy. I'm going to use that in the future. Oh yeah, please feel free. I, I do yeah. think one thing I'm pretty okay at is creating uh, very specific analogies. It was very vibrant. I think that, that that's what people do. It's like, oh, that bowling ball is going down the wrong lane. I need to go catch it. And that's not your job. Your job is just to keep them out of the gutter. Anything they do within the lane of not being in a cult, you got to let them do. So if your friend in this example is just dead set on becoming a Muslim and they really believe that that's right for them, will your bias allow you to be the bumpers and steer them towards information that will help them find a healthy place within that religion? Or is your bias going to make you try to run down the lane and stop the rolling bowling ball? Step one. We actually made sure that they're in a cult. What's step two? Well, then it, the next step is, are you the right person to take this on? Hmm. I'm going to lay out some things in this episode that can help someone who's getting involved in a cult and things that can help someone who's already in a cult. But there are some things you need to know about this before you even think about trying to start this process. It takes time and it takes patience. This process can take months or years. You are almost never going to see results in a few weeks. There's somebody that I know who is involved in a group that is non-religious that I believe is a cult. Somebody I'm like vaguely acquainted with this person over social media, uh, but I, I do know, I, I know them in person, but um, don't live in their area. There it is. I, I would really like to maybe explore starting this process with them. I have chosen not to try right now because I do not have time. I have a podcast. I have school. I have a baby. I have a husband. I don't have hours a week to even consider starting this process. So maybe part of this is also identifying why this person is in this group to begin with. So maybe they're like Sadie, they were born into it, or maybe they're just joining now because they are missing a level of acceptance or validation in their life. They might see you trying to convince them otherwise as you trying to take that away from them. Someone who is just joining now or just in maybe the first year it's going to be easier to help than someone who's been in a cult for 20 years or was born into it. It's it's kind of similar to getting over a breakup. Getting over a breakup is hard. It sucks. But it's a very different process if you were with somebody for three months versus three years versus 10 years. You, the, the thing, so you, you want to consider where they're coming from, maybe why you think they're joining this group, how long they've been in it, what your time commitment is going to look like, and do not be, don't feel bad if you can't handle the time commitment. This is a put the oxygen mask over your own mouth and nose before trying to help the person next to you situation. You, it, it is not your job to go getting everybody in the world out of cults. Now, if you can, and you have a person who's a good candidate and you care and you are able to do it, that's a wonderful thing to try to help. But it, it is not your job. And if you can't help somebody, it is not your fault. It is okay. You also need to consider your personal susceptibility to this. I don't say this to shame anyone. I do not mean to call anyone weak. I say this 100% without judgment. Some of us are more susceptible to cult-like thinking than others. It's not shameful. It's not a sign of you being weak or weak-minded or stupid. It's just, it's a part of who you are. And you really got to be honest with yourself about whether you're a susceptible person or not. I think we discussed early in the show 
that very smart people are going to be susceptible to cult-like thinking because they will try to engage with the ideology on an intellectual level. So they will see something about it that they find interesting and they will go deeper into that. Then that's how they get sucked in. It's not just like, oh, these people are idiots. They believe something that's obviously not true. Right. And your intelligence doesn't have much to do with whether or not you're susceptible. If you think back to before the pandemic, when we worked in offices all together in like buildings, um, when there were office buildings, there was always that person in the office, which if something was going around the office, some flu or cold or whatever, that person was definitely going to get it. And there was always that person who just had a rock star immune system, even though they drank like three monsters a day and ate McDonald's for lunch every day. It didn't matter. No matter. They never got that thing that was going around because they're they just we're lucky great immune system who knows and that person would end up pulling a bunch of overtime while everybody else was out sick it's like that with cults if you think of cult thinking like a mental virus some people just have a better immune system than other people now this is important just like physical sickness there are things you can do to strengthen your mental immune system there are absolutely things that you can do to build it up But just like in the physical immune system, some people can take all the vitamin C in the world, get lots of sunlight and exercise, eat healthy, and still just be pretty susceptible to any virus that's going around. Just like that mentally, it's great to try to strengthen your mental immune system. Some of us are just not cut out for this, and that is okay. You should, you shouldn't go trying to help somebody else out if you think that you're going to be susceptible to this. There's also the factor of maybe the particular cult that this hypothetical person that you're wanting to help is in. Maybe something that you're more at risk for. Maybe you are a person, you're really strong against religious thinking. Nothing that anybody says that's religious is going to really affect you. You're not susceptible to that. You've got your beliefs and you're very firm in them. But your resistance against really aggressive MLMs is very weak because of your beliefs about money or what you were taught about money or success or whatever. You... If that's you, you might be a extremely suitable person to help somebody deconstruct religion or get out of a religious cult, but you might be a very unsuitable person to help somebody leave a MLM that has become cult-like. Yeah. So here's an example. I have a family member who is very into different diets. So she will read something on the internet about how a certain diet, like paleo, Mediterranean, keto, whatever, it's the best thing for health. And then her husband will come home from work. And all of the food will be different and all of the food that they had bought the previous week will have been thrown out because there was an ingredient in it that was bad or, you know, it was the stuff that the stuff that they weren't supposed to eat last week is fine now. So like if any of that sounds like you, maybe you're not the best person to try to help somebody come out of like a a cult if it's like MLM based, if it's like a, a health food craze thing. Or maybe there's somebody who, maybe that person would be fine helping somebody who's in a religious cult, but would get sucked right in with somebody who followed Gwen Shamblin Lara, the the cult leader who had like a weight loss thing, who we're Mm going to have to talk about. That person that you just described might be fine helping somebody deconstruct from religion, but might get sucked right into an MLM, like you said, that sells weight loss stuff. So I don't feel like I need to go into my specific strong points and weak points 
right now. But I do want to say that I am strong in some of these areas and I am weak in others of these areas. So know yourself really well and please don't shame yourself. If you're just not the right person to help someone, maybe you can help them find the right person. You do, no matter how much you love your cult member, you do not have to be the right person to help them. These are all excellent points. So I'm going to get into this step in a few minutes, but if you're going to do this thing, you're going to have to listen to what they believe. You're going to hear hours of conspiracy theories and Bible verses and toxic positivity and whatever else it is that they're into. If you left a religious cult and you're triggered by Bible verses, that is not your fault. It does not make you a weak person. It might not be best for you or your mental health. So consider your susceptibilities, your time commitment, but also your mental health. Like you, you have to take care of yourself first. So in our episode, I think it was episode 32, the one about the St. Louis Cardinals and the title, there was a section where Sadie told a story in IFBEs. Oh, you yeah. You remember that? Yeah, uh, yeah I so, remember that. Yeah, if you're triggered by that and this is that sort of group, maybe this isn't the best move for you. So you've evaluated what cult this person is in or joining and why you think it's a cult. And you've thought about your own strengths and weaknesses and your bias and your triggers and pain points. And you think that you are a suitable person. The last thing that you need to consider in this like pre-process starting step is who this person is to you and how this is going to affect the status quo. You're doing this either because you care deeply about someone as a human being, they, even though they're not somebody that you're super close to or related to, or but you, maybe um, if you're trying to deconvert somebody you don't know really well, it's maybe because you're concerned about the impact of cults and cult-like thinking on society. But you also might be trying to deconvert a friend or a family member. What's your motivation? Why do you specifically think that that person needs help? I think the most common answer to this is that I want my mom back. I, I love my mom or my sister, or my aunt, whoever. And I feel like she's so far down this rabbit hole that I feel like I don't even know her anymore. That's what I hear people say over and over again. People want their loved ones out of unsafe situations, out of thinking and behavior patterns that are actively harmful to them. A lot of times you aren't even looking for a specific behavior change. Maybe you've left the IFB and your parents have not. And you would just love to be able to sit down and have a glass of wine and talk about life with your mom. In that scenario, the wine, breaking her taboo around drinking, that's not really the goal. The goal is the talking about life, being able to make that connection with your mom on that level and see things from the same perspective. That's, I mean, that's beautifully put. Another thing to think about, I think this goes on with this point and also with the last one, is how is this person going to react to you specifically being the person that's trying to break them out. Exactly. Yeah. So if your motivations are ones that they will be suspicious of, you're probably not going to be the one to do this. So even if like if your motivations are good, like you're just like, I just want to sit and, and talk with my mom and not have to deal with all of this uh, uh, religious guilt around that. Uh, if you have something about you that they might see as an ulterior motive, then you might not be the right person, or at least you will have to approach this much more gingerly than you would have to otherwise. Yes. How are they going to perceive this effort on your part is a big part of it. But that that's a two-sided coin because the other side of that coin is how are you going to react to their inevitable resistance? If your family member is in a cult and you do try to get them out, no matter how right you do it, there are going to be disagreements. There are going to be fights. They might cut you off temporarily or permanently. They might call you names. 
They might choose the cult over you, hopefully temporarily, but it could be permanently. Are you going to be able to deal with deal with that, cope with that from a mental health perspective? Are you going to be able to compartmentalize this and think, this person that I love is saying hurtful things to me because of cult thinking? Or are you going to internalize that rejection as a rejection of you, not just the beliefs that you represent to them? Right. So say you are an atheist and your sister is getting into the IFB. You'd better believe that they will be telling her that because you are an atheist, the devil is working through you to get to her. And the very fact that you are trying to stop her from going whole hog into this is proof that she needs to keep going because joining the church must be extremely important or the devil wouldn't be trying so hard to stop it from happening. That's what they're going to be saying to her. Right. So you need to understand the group that they're in and you need to think about, are you going to be able to deal with that or is it just going to destroy you emotionally? If you know that people are saying things like that about you, if and if that does, if they do get through to your hypothetical sister here and it changes the way that she thinks of you for a while, can you handle that? Can you internally, like, can you cope with that strain for a long period of time and also go about the things that you need to do for your own daily life, like working and carrying on your other relationships? If you already see your loved one as a bit of a lost cause, if you've already grieved them as if they were dead because being in this group has changed who they were so much, you might be the right person to do this. I'm not saying that you need to be completely on that level in order for you to do it, but if you have a touch of that mindset, that's a good sign, as as terrible as that sounds. You are going to be hurt by things that they say or offended by things that they believe. But if you're in the mindset of like Hail Mary, last ditch effort, they're already as good as gone. You, you can't, what do, what do I have to lose? If you're in that headspace, that's the level of emotionally steeled that I'm talking about to, to actually dive into trying to deconvert somebody who doesn't want to be deconverted. And this is something that I think also came up in the AMA is that some cults immediately isolate you from your friends and family and say, okay, this is your new family. And they'll prevent you from seeing your loved ones, you know, as like a, a behavior control type of thing. But a lot of cults will not do this. They'll tell you, in fact, that you're going to go back and be with them and try to convert them too. like i'm sure that's what the ifb would do is they would right. be like oh well you you've joined now bring your family in you're still gonna get them in your life but it's not going to be the same sort of relationship and there's going to be a strain there so you you need to realize that that the person who's in a cult may also be trying to convert you while you're trying to deconvert them there, there's a lot of mind games here mm-hmm. and, and this is why people want their loved ones out it goes back to that phrase that I use constantly. It's about a compound of the mind. Whether your person is physically trapped somewhere or choosing to stay somewhere or just out in the world with this tough shell of cult thinking, they're in that compound mentally. And it can be like you've lost them. That's why people want to help their family and friends to begin with. The last thing I want to talk about under this point is how to deal with strangers. What do you do if there's a cult group or a group that you think might be a cult in your town? What do you do if someone comes to your door out soul winning or recruiting for a group that you think or know is a cult? What do you do if you see someone out preaching on the street? If it's me, I'd ignore them. That's your option. Like, I've got to wonder, 
that's fine. That is okay. Street preaching can't even be that effective these days. Now everyone's got headphones in. Did I tell anyway, you? Right. Did I tell? Wait, did I tell you? This is funny. We need we need a, a joke in this episode. Did I tell you about the street preachers in Vegas? Were they from the Church of Elvis? No. <laughs> were, oh, were they preaching? Don't be cruel. Uh. I don't know. Maybe you were just raised in a cult, and uh, the cult gave you a suspicious mind. But um, <laughs> no, they weren't from the Church of Elvis. So don't be cruel. Too hard. That's true. Yeah. So, so aside from my husband's music tastes are really diverse and I love that so much, but he's a major Kiss fan, as some of our listeners may be aware. I'm a major Vegas fan, as some of our listeners may be aware. Jonathan and I were leaving the Kiss show, which was awesome. We were both wearing our denim vests with all like the pins and patches on them. Uh, we're walking up the Vegas Strip with a bunch of other people who just left the Kiss show dressed similarly to us. And there's this guy street preaching by himself in like on this Vegas Strip outside of where all the people leaving the Kiss show were walking. So my husband, having had some of my frozen margarita and being the person that he is, we like just passed the guy and we we're going up the, the escalator on the on the Strip, which people know about if they've been to Vegas. Jonathan turns around and he just he puts on his like metal growl voice and he just yells, Hail Satan. <laughs> like, just to get the guy. So the street preacher, like, you hear him like take a little pause and then he gets louder. He's like, Oh man, I'm preaching to a, a real heathen Satanist. So he like gets louder, like the you know, the, the spirit comes over him. And he starts yelling even more about how we're all going to hell and we had turn or burn. Just just like escalates. So Jonathan, we're like halfway up the escalator and Jonathan turns around and yells again, Satan is my lord and master. <laughs> like you've heard Jonathan do voices. Like he can he can yell and do like that yeah. like growly metal voice really oh loud. God. No, I can, I can picture this. I can, I can 100% picture this. <laughs> and it caught the street preacher off guard so badly that he just went silent. It was just like stunned silence. I had a choir teacher in high school who told me that whenever missionaries came to her door, she would wear a pentagram. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of the same concept, yeah. but also Jonathanized. Uh-huh. So we got a lot of questions in the AMA about what to do if someone shows up at your door or if you encounter somebody who's street preaching, both from the perspective of how do I get this person to go the f*** away and from the perspective of how can I potentially help this person? And I want to say, once again, either option is valid. Like, if you just need them to go away, you don't have to explain to me why. You, You don't have to explain to anybody. It's not your job to save everybody or help everybody. If you just need them to get the f*** off your porch, that's fine. Like, it's really fine. I also want to say, though, a lot of people like to answer this question with answer the door naked. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Like, that's not, that person is not consenting to that. Uh, And a lot of churches will send out people who are underage, meaning me, like 13 years ago. I've had this happen to me a lot as a teenager, a young teenager. This is not cool. It's well, like somebody would actually answer the door naked. Yep. 
I can think of at least three or four times before I was 18. That's really gross. Yeah. Ew. You, yeah, like you that's, didn't want to see that. Like, I get why this seems like a good idea, but those people really, they didn't consent to that. So if you want to know what to do if somebody knocks on your door, you can check out our episode. I think it's episode 36 about right. breaking and, the script. Yeah. And that episode goes through all the things you can do, specifically if the person is IFB. Something that I missed in that episode is there are some code words for people who are not IFB that can work a lot faster. So if they're Scientologists, I don't think they do door to door, but if a Scientologist approaches you, you can just tell them you're a suppressive person. The acronym in this, everything in Scientology is an acronym. Tell them you're an SP for suppressive person. They will go away. If they're JWs, you can tell them that you're disfellowshipped. And then if they're Mormon, uh, you can ask about like the papers that prove that Brigham Young married somebody underage and uh, they will they will just kind of have to go away. So that's the other half of that question, right? Can you actually help someone who is street preaching or somebody who shows up at your door to try to convert you? Is it possible to build a relationship with them and help them see another way? I don't think that you're going to be able to like silver bullet this person because they're going to be armored up. Right. They like you've talked about this, but they're armored up to go out in the world. They're going to face rejection. They are facing at best. No, thank yous. And at worst, fuck you go home and rethink your life. And if you come back, I'll beat you with a two by four with a nail through it. Like mm-hmm. that's what they're prepared for. Exactly. They're Yeah. So if you want to help a stranger, it's almost never going to happen in one conversation. So go straight back to step one. Learn about their beliefs figure out if they're really in a cult, consider if you're the right person to help them, consider if you have the time commitment to not only go through the deprogramming process, but also build trust in order to even be able to start it. And then you've got to go through all the further steps that we're going to lay out in the second half of this episode. The answer is technically yes. It's going to be a lot of work. And I would seriously suggest that you think about why you think it's absolutely necessary and why you think you're the person to help. But in some cases... You might be the person to help. I'm not saying this is always a negative or a wrong impulse for you to have to want to help them. I think it's often coming from a really good place. But please really think about it before you just try to jump into this thing. Mm-hmm. I do want to offer a story. I have brought this up on the podcast before, but I had attributed it to the wrong person. I thought it was Megan Phelps Roper who said this, but it was actually somebody named Dawn Smith in her TED Talk. So there I am. It's at that moment that I see her. She's an older woman, and she's got this gray flyaway hair, and she's not wearing any nail polish, and I don't understand how anybody outside of the group I'm in would go one day without nail polish, because I love nail polish almost as much as I love Christ himself. (laughs) But it's totally forbidden. She locks eyes with me, and she walks up to me, and she gets down on one knee, and she says, one day, you will grow up, and you will realize you can leave all of this. So in that clip, she tells this story where she's a little girl. She's five years old. She's out street preaching with her dad. A woman walks up to her, gets on her level, and says one very poignant thing. This woman says to her, one day you will grow up and you can choose to leave all of this. 
So this is not a situation in which you're going to successfully deprogram somebody right away. Even that, like that's best case scenario. That's something that you can say. And that's like something that opens it up to her, but that still takes time and time and time. Right. That woman didn't deconvert her. She didn't get this little child out of a cult, but she did plant a seed that stayed with Dawn her entire life. And eventually grew into her leaving a cult many years later. And oh. it's going to be contentious. Like if you try to really go into it, it's going to be contentious. Their guard's going to be up. Going after soul winners is going to be tough. I- I'm not officially recommending that anybody walk up to a street preacher or their child and try to change their mind or try to have an agenda with that conversation. In fact, don't talk to children who you have no like, reason to talk to see i i like in general i agree with that in this in this specific situation that woman absolutely did the right thing but i would argue that she knew that she was the right person she assessed the situation she knew that that she knew where they were and that the kid's father was not going to be an issue And that she would be able to present herself as non-threatening. And she knew what she was going to say. And she knew that what she was going to say couldn't be perceived as offensive. I would, I would argue that she went through that, that whoever that mystery woman was who changed that little girl, little girl's life was, had already gone through most of the steps that we've already laid out. Yeah. So I'm not officially recommending that you just try this on a whim. You're especially not if you're going to go in with like, I'm going to go walk up to this person and change their mind. Don't, 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 don't do that. You're not going to be able to be a superhero. You're not going to walk up to somebody who's screaming on the Las Vegas strip about how you're going to hell and then magically have them walk away an hour later. And they're now a liberal atheist and they're going to leave the cult. That's not going to happen. But in that situation, if you encounter people by the max stop at Providence Park here in Portland, where when somebody comes to your door to try to convert you, No matter, you can be really nice, you can be really educated, you're not going to change their mind in one minute or one hour or one day, and it is okay to just let those people go on their way. And really, it's okay to tell them to f*** off, Uh, although for reasons that I explained in great detail in that um, Break the Script episode, I do always recommend being nice to children and teenagers if if you can muster it. Even if you feel bad for them, it's okay to just let them walk away without trying to help them. On the other hand, it is possible to get through to people like that through a long process of interactions. We're going to go through some of that after the break. What I recommend doing overall, if you encounter somebody who's witnessing or street preaching, my number one recommendation is try to plant a seed and think small. Just try to say one thing, not even that will make them question their beliefs, but one thing that will encourage them to keep learning. Just, just do it. That's the best thing that you can do in 99% of those situations. We're going to go and take up the offering and then we'll be back and we will be able to say you've done all of these steps. We'll give you the next steps that you got to do. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Okay, we are back from our break. Uh, we want to hop right into this because we got a lot more to talk about. So, so you follow the first few steps. Say you are the right person to talk about this. Say this person's like a family member, a sister, a friend. You're in the right setting. You're sitting down with this person. Uh, you've got some tea. Maybe you've got some soup, sandwich. How are you going to go about doing this? So we've talked about the qualifications for you, the potential person doing the deprogramming. We need to talk about the qualifications for the person getting deprogrammed. The main thing is that they need to be ready to listen. You are a regular person. You are not a deprogramming expert like the guy that they brought in to deprogram Bart and Lisa with hover bikes after Homer accidentally <laughs> joined a cult. You're, oh, yeah. you're not that guy. I personally don't recommend that regular people try to deprogram someone from square one, like from the point of 100% commitment. You need a person who is already having at least the tiniest bit of doubt. So the person in the scenario that you just talked about, if she's sitting down with you, an outsider, to talk and she's open to talking about the beliefs of her group, she's probably not 100% committed to whatever she's been following if she's okay with talking about it with somebody that she knows is an unbeliever. The other option, of course, is that she is 100% committed and she's trying to convert you, which is why I talked earlier about the mental strength and immunity thing. So you're not going to be able to come in as like the arbiter of truth and say, X is right. Why is wrong? Because that's essentially what like the pastor or the cult leader is doing already. And they're probably way better at like than you are. Yep. If you go in with the idea and the attitude of I'm right, you're wrong. You know that I'm right. You know that you're wrong. Let me lay some truth bombs on you, send you an Instagram infographic and we're done by dinner time. <laughs> you're not going to get the outcome that you want. No. Approaching it as I'm here to change your mind now. First, it's self-righteous and presumptuous, but second, they're just going to get confrontational and try to change your mind. Do you remember that time we were reading the Jack Scott book, The Dating with a Purpose, and there was a guy who's like, why shouldn't I kiss my girlfriend? And Jack Scott's like, because I am right and you are wrong. I know more than you. And this is the biblical truth. But now, like, and that was like his argument. And he's like, and that was... And then everybody clapped. And everybody clapped. Right. <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it's exactly like that. Don't be a jerk. Can't Scott. Do that. No. In any sense, what you can do on day one of this very long process is get them talking. People like to talk about what they're into. This person has 
quote unquote learned a lot from whatever group that they are involved with. And they're going to want to talk about all of these new knowledge of this new knowledge that they've gained. They probably get shut down a lot by other people when they try to bring it up. They probably try to preach about this to their spouse or adult kids or their work or their school or whatever. And they're going to be thrilled to talk about it to somebody who is not trying to shut them down and is just like, I want to hear what you believe. Of course, because it's going to feel like you're taking an interest in their life, which you are. Which you are. And you shouldn't do this if you don't have a legitimate interest in their life. I, I, I worry that some people are going to take this episode as a how to manipulate people. In a way, it kind of is. And that's why I spent half of the episode trying to make sure that you're the right person to do this. Because it is kind of manipulative. Now, it's manipulative for a good reason if you're trying to get somebody out of a cult. But don't do this if you're not the kind of person who's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this because I truly believe it's for their own good. And then I'm going to stop. It worries me. This is also where you have to set your first boundary in this conversation. Actually, some people did this to me. Some family members of mine did this for me. If you're going to let them just harangue you about their beliefs, you have to set a boundary of, this is probably not going to convert me to your belief. I wouldn't suggest that you say, you're never going to change my mind and convert me to your belief. If you're going to say that, at least say it in a really nice way, because otherwise they are not going to see the conversation as worthwhile, because the carrot on the stick is probably them converting you. You know that they're not going to change your mind. But if you set that hard of a line, and especially if you do it in a rude or obnoxious way, you're going to have a hard time getting them to talk. But you also need to set the boundary so that you can call them out from for crossing the line. So you set this boundary of, I'm not here to be converted. It's very unlikely that you're going to be able to convert me. Please don't try. So say that they are an evangelical Christian. Please don't try to get me to pray the sinner's prayer. So then if they do try to get you to pray the sinner's prayer, like by some kind of backhanded hustle that their pastor taught them, you can call them out for crossing that boundary. So this is a scenario that they've been told about many times in church, though, I'm sure, where they go to somebody that has rejected their beliefs and then they talk to them about it until they agree to pray the prayer and get saved. And so having that carrot dangling, like you said, that's going to be enough to engage them, especially if it's somebody that they love, because they're just like, oh, man, if I get this person to do it, we're going to be in heaven forever together. It's going to be beautiful. Right. And it's it's very manipulative. You don't want to mislead them into the idea that you are asking them to convert you. Personally, I think that is going way too far. The only time I would say this is ethically acceptable is if their life is at risk, if you know for a fact that their life or safety is at risk in the group that they're in, that's the level of danger they would need to be in for me to see it as ethically okay for you to lead them on like that. Personally, I don't think that's ethical. You need them to feel, though, that you're placing value on their beliefs. It's a, it's a really delicate line. It's going to take some judgment. How I like to handle this is you're not going to change my mind, but I respect you and I value you as a person. And I am always open to hearing about what other people think, especially people that I respect and value. That's, the, that's how I walk that line. You're going to have to find your own way and use some judgment. So here's my take on it, is that they say that you don't truly understand something until you can teach it to somebody else, right? Right. So if they're getting into all the reads about this, you're going to be asking them clarifying questions. And say they're newer to whatever this group is that they're joining, you might ask them, okay, like you might ask them some clarifying questions that they might not have a good answer to. And that might be where some cracks start to form that there weren't cracks before. Yeah, that's exactly the next step. I have a couple more points about boundaries, and then I'm going to tell you what to do when they start saying the cracks form. Hmm. 
set your boundaries, make them feel valued on a personal level and show them that you value them as an expert on whatever it is that they believe. Again, I could be respectful talking to an expert in a field that I don't agree with. And that's that's kind of the the, idea, the mindset that you need to go into this with. So you, you make that boundary and you make any other boundaries that you need for your own sake. Personally, I don't do yelling. I don't do name calling. So if I'm having this conversation with someone and it gets intense and they start raising their voice or they call me an idiot, I'm going to restate that boundary. Hey, I get that you're really passionate about this. We're family or we're friends. Let's not let these beliefs get in the way of loving each other. And if they continue to cross that boundary, it's time to hold strong to that boundary in the conversation for the day, talk about something else. Or if they continue to cross that boundary and won't redirect the conversation, it's time to leave on the most positive note that you can. This is this all goes back to like protecting yourself, protecting your own mental health. And also it's gauging how deep that they are in. Because if they're in so deep that they can't hold a boundary, they might not be ready for this or you're just going to have to be a lot tougher. This is not always going to be pretty. I know from my cold experience, I was not used to people setting boundaries. I did not like it. And it seemed like a personal offense when somebody set a boundary with me. So you would take somebody setting boundaries as a personal offense? Yes. The concept of Hmm. boundaries, like in in the way that that people who, in the way that we're talking about boundaries does not exist in the IFB. Like I won't be spoken to in this manner. Right. that, That is not a thing. There is a very small concept of setting physical boundaries like I am not going to kiss you until we get married. But as you know, the IFB as a whole is a terrible place to set physical boundaries, unfortunately. Mm. I had no concept of like personal or emotional boundaries until I got out. Simple thing. Like, I'm not interested in talking about this right now. I don't like to discuss this topic. I don't want to do that right now. I had no, I had no idea. Completely had never heard of such a thing. Since I didn't get to set boundaries for myself, when other people did it, it felt extremely offensive and rude. Like, who do you think you are? You're better than me. Wait, so if somebody asks you to do something, you can't say no because I don't want to? Yeah. I had no concept of being able to say no to people without a dire immediate reason. In case anybody was wondering just why sexual assault is such a huge problem in the IFB. So... So you're not going to say no to somebody because you're afraid of being rude? Yeah, because because you do not know that you are able to because there is no culture of self-care. There's no culture of personal boundaries at all. Somebody asks you something that you don't want to answer. You don't know how to say, oh, I'd rather not talk about that right now. You, You don't have the concept that you could possibly politely say that topic so... that topic bothers me i'm not going to talk about that i'm not in a headspace to talk about that right now i need to change uh, the subject none of that you do, you are not given the phrases to ever do that or say that i'd never heard somebody s- say that sort of thing so i had no idea that i was able to never never okay. oh my god i'm sorry you're gonna have to move on from this we're gonna have to talk about that some other time because that's that's insane see that's the kind of thing like i don't i don't think about it until you bring it up and i'm like oh yeah that was a thing what that's that's nuts i not being able to say i don't want to do that so i won't that i can't imagine my life without telling people no i don't want to do that thing I was probably in my 20s before I did that for the first time. Okay, moving on. So your person that you're that you're working with here may react that way to a boundary. That's okay. That's okay. They may they may react badly to it. Be consistent. Try again in a month. 
if they continually boundary stomp you just over and over and over again and you're not getting anywhere because their boundary stomping behavior is so bad, go back to the beginning of the episode. Go through all that thinking process again. Is this something you can do right now? Are you coping with this okay? If not, maybe you can direct them to another resource. By the way, I keep saying that directing somebody to another resource. Here's an example of what that might sound like. Aunt Carol, every time we talk about the microchips and vaccines, we seem to get very heated. You and I have always had so much fun knitting together, and I don't want to lose that. If you want to know what I believe about why vaccines don't have microchips, I can send you a book to read or I can direct you to some websites that made me feel better about it. If you don't want that information, that's okay, but I'm just not going to discuss this topic with you anymore. I'd rather just knit and have a good time. That's very valuable and mature for those of you who, like me, had no idea how to set boundaries until a couple of years ago, that's what—that's how I would redirect that. Um, that's a, a script that you can maybe modify or you know use it as a jumping off point to do some more learning about boundaries. I know, like I know that's basic to a lot of our listeners, but uh, uh, like a solid half of our listeners were raised in cults, so I try to model that when I can. Hey, we all have to learn things at some point, and it's better to learn them late than never. You know, that's. Kind of how we feel. Amen to that. Um, while we're talking about this, I think it's important to remember that while you are engaging with this person, you're going to have to use language that is familiar to them and does not seem alien or alienating. If you are a fan of the show, you will know that we tend to skew towards the left on social issues. If you, for instance, are trying to talk to somebody who is IFB and and trying to maybe get them to question their beliefs a bit, and you use the term birthing person instead of woman it's gonna like it's gonna be like that millions and billions of years thing mm-hmm. that sadie experienced of the dinosaur they're gonna glom onto that and say that you sound ridiculous and it's going to quite possibly derail your whole effort birthing person may be a more inclusive term to use but you're gonna have to check that at the door before going into this encounter maybe a be a bit more plain spoken if you can. If you're not able to do that, then maybe, you know, go back to the beginning, consider whether or not you're the right person for this job. That's an excellent point. Not knocking that kind of language because, you know, that's language that we use. But on it this can show. sound like, like a yeah. like it can sound like talking in code to people who haven't been exposed to it. Yeah. So I'm I'm not just suggesting that you use terms that are offensive uh, or terms that would be slurs to try to get through to somebody who uses those terms, you better be prepared to hear them though. And you you need to be ready to to hit these issues head on and be blunt. You're not you should not have to use terms that are slurs or or terms that are purposely not inclusive, but you're you're going to have to be able to take these issues pretty head on and not use maybe the language that that you're used to the language the language that we would use on this show like person first language inclusive language that may be a little bit too much for the person you're trying to talk to i think that the woman versus birthing person is is like a good example right because if you say birthing person and not in a tone of derision you are immediately identifying yourself as somebody who is adversarial to their belief system like the because the IFBs are the types of people who are going to put this truck identifies as a Prius stickers <laughs> on the back of their Cummins turbo diesel. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, yeah. Make <laughs> triggered. You know. Well, it's like how um that, yeah. I think Bethany from Girl Defined had you know how Instagram lets you put your pronouns in your bio now. Yeah, she had child of God like where you would normally put like she her hers or they them theirs. That's kind of tacky. 
but it, it's like she's now taking it off, I believe. But it was it was up there for a couple months. Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as this may be even uh, like a more inclusive way to speak, and this is possibly even the way that you talk with your friends, because you know this is the way that Sadie talks uh, in regular everyday life. Especially, you know, if you're like us, you live in Portland, you have a lot of like queer friends. Uh, you know, you're trying. It can to... become really second nature. Yeah, it, it it just becomes second nature, and this is how people talk. Uh, I think there is a sense from a lot of conservative people that this is a sort of constantly shifting constantly updating shibboleth for the activist class and a lot of them think it's not just incorrect they think it's elitist and there's a bit of an attitude of oh well you think that if i don't change the way that i speak that makes me racist or that makes me sexist or that means i hate gay people there's there's that sort of thing so if you start talking like this then they're going to think oh you're talking like this that means that you think that because i don't talk like this you know I, I'm I'm less than you. It's like the difference between saying Appalachia and Appalachia. Yes. If you overdo it with language that is not accessible to the person you're speaking to, there there I go again with the accessible. Yeah. But if you if you overdo it in that direction, they're going to feel like you've devalued their belief system from the start, and they're not going to want to talk to you about it. And as good as that may feel to you to like know all the right words and know the correct way to say things, because I know it feels good for me, it's not going to get you anywhere as far as deep programming goes. No. So you get this person talking. Like you said, Gabi, you're going to start asking them questions about what you hear. If you hit on something that they don't have an answer for, this and this is this is key. Try to get them to tell you what they think before don't let them go back and ask a pastor, ask a leader, ask an upline. Don't don't let them get away from this question. Be really nice, be really gentle. Try to get them to confront this question. And say, what do you think about this issue that they have questions about? Yeah, no, like, no, what do you think? If this yeah. is somebody you're religious, like who's religious, you can even ask them, well, what do you think the Bible says? That's still a positive step rather than just asking their leader what it says, that they would try to put something together on their own. Yeah, it's important that you also don't try to tell them what it is they believe. Like, especially when they come to one of these crossroads, you can't tell them, well, you said this thing earlier, so that means you must think. That. Like, you can't, because uh, otherwise you're no better than Kent Hovind talking about the scientists. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. he was like, I like to tell them what they believe because a lot of them don't know. <laughs> like, I, I can say, I'm sure that Sadie can as well. I've had people mischaracterize my uh, religious beliefs and my political beliefs before in order to make those beliefs into fodder for ridicule. You know, the whole, you believe X, therefore you believe Y, Y is evil and stupid, therefore you are evil and stupid. But you can't go doing that. As much as you want to, even if your logic is sound, you have to let them come to these conclusions for themselves. So I want to pull in an example from my story, like how this worked for me. I had that question about what happens to people who never get to hear about Jesus. There was an IFB answer about that. But the IFB answer didn't match with other things that they were teaching, and it didn't match with the idea of God that they were teaching, and I found a couple scripture verses that it didn't seem to match with. There's a key, absolutely key point in time when someone has a question that they can't answer with the information that they've been taught so far, and you need to get them to answer it in their words with their logic. It is fine if they are still giving. So if it's a religious question and they're still giving a very religious answer, that's okay. That is still a step towards critical thinking. Basically, you are coaching them through and metaphorically holding their hand through every tiny twist and turn of crit critical thinking. They may not know how to do it at all. 
So just as as methodically as you would teach a child how to tie their shoes. If you're trying to teach a kid how to tie their shoes, you don't say, well, make two bows, wrap one around the other, stick it through the hole. There you go. You say, okay, well, you're going to take this hand and you're going to make a bunny ears. And then you take the other hand and you make a bunny ears and you're really methodical about it. You're doing that. But for critical thinking, you're being the training wheels, critical thinking bicycle. If somebody is asking you something that you don't have an answer for. Say you're in a, like, and this is asking you from your personal experience. If somebody was asking you something that you didn't have an answer for, would you feel a sense of shame if you didn't have the right answer? Like if you're thinking yeah. about this, like you're, you're having a philosophical discussion or is it more like you're answering a short answer question on an exam? It's going to feel more like answering a answering on an exam. And if they don't have an answer, there's going to be some shame involved. When I finish with that step, believe me, I'm going to get to that next step. (laughs) You're getting ahead of me a little bit. So this is probably the most critical step is to start finding these holes in their thinking. Even if you know where they're going in the conversation, you need to let them find the holes in their logic for themselves. So in doing this, you're not telling them and I'm going to take your story for an example. You're not telling them, well, the problem with your belief about salvation is that all of the people who didn't hear about Jesus automatically go to hell and then they never had a chance. You're going to ask them, well, what happens to all of the people who don't know about Jesus and who the missionaries don't get to? Right. And then they're going to say, well, um, you know, those people had a chance to find out about God through the witness of creation. And then you're going to ask them, well, if a missionary was supposed to go to them and didn't, isn't it the missionary's fault that they didn't get to go to heaven? And you're going to lead them down. You're going to lead them down the path, but you you need to let them make their own conclusions. It's going to be a lot. It's going to take a lot better if they come up with it themselves. Um, try not to to ask too many leading questions and just just help them explore what they've been told. Once you've found a doubt or more than one doubt that they have, you go to the next big step. And it is not trying to explain that doubt and tell them the truth. Not yet. There's something you can do first to make that step so much easier. And that is modeling for them what it looks like to be wrong about something as a reasonable thinking person. Hopefully, you have a real life example. If you can't think of a time that you've been wrong about something recently in the last few years, something big and changed your mind, maybe that's a you problem. So for me, uh, I'm just trying to think of something off the top of my head. I read somewhere that masks actually don't help prevent the transmission of COVID. Like we all remember those few weeks in the middle of the pandemic when it was like, oh, they do help. No, they don't help. No, they do help. Well, no, wait, they don't help. When the CDC was like flip-flopping on that. If I'm talking to somebody who is a COVID conspiracy theory person, I can now identify with them and model being wrong or being unsure without being ashamed of it. So if that person brings up well, the CDC didn't even know if masks helped or not. It's just to control us and prepare us for the mark of the beast. I can say, oh my God, I, I'm so with you. I hated it when they were going back and forth on that. We were all just trying to do what's best. And it was so frustrating to me that they didn't seem prepared for that. Yeah, I think the mask thing is a good example because whether or not you think masks work is also going to be really tied up in your political identity and your political ideology. And there is a ton of people who are really into shaming other people about it. Like it's it's been their whole thing. This whole pandemic is just like dunking on people who do or don't wear masks. Mm -hmm. You know, like whether or not you wear them, you've seen people on social media who are just saying the most bitter things about the other side. And I'm not trying to both sides this issue because I feel like, you know, we need to wear masks. So, you know, go get your shot. So grandma doesn't die. Uh, The Delta virus is serious. 
this is a thing where people are really just going in and having acting with utter contempt mm-hmm. towards each other and often like really dehumanizing ways. And I get it. I feel contempt towards people that I feel are being irresponsible and dangerous and blind to science. Like I feel that emotion, but I don't, if I am specifically trying to reach out to one of them, I don't need to show that because it's it's not going to help. Like it is okay to not like people who believe differently or to feel feelings about it. But if you are specifically trying to help one of them, your compassion needs to overcome your contempt. So if you've been posting about, say somebody died after like, say somebody died of COVID after posting something about how they weren't getting the vaccine and how they weren't going to wear a mask anywhere because it was uh, like mind control or control from somebody and they didn't believe in it. If you posted that and with like a play stupid games, win stupid prizes type caption, you might not be the person for this job. That might be like a go back to square one type situation. Right. Or you might be the person for this job if you can, if your compassion for the person you're trying to reach is far larger than that emotion you were feeling when you posted that. That's why the whole self-examination thing. So in this hypothetical conversation with my hypothetical anti-mask friend, I've identified with them and I've said, hey, yeah, that was frustrating for me too. I didn't like that just like you didn't like that. I also felt like the government wasn't managing things well and that there were things that I I wasn't being told. And that made me mad. It made you mad too. So now we're on the same team and then you 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 take the turn and you say, well, this is how I decided what I was going to do. And I can show them scientific studies that I was reading at the time that were done about mask effectiveness. I can explain to them my personal logic for why I believe that COVID is a real thing to be taken seriously and it's more than just the flu, why I trust vaccines, why I chose to get mine, because I've, I, I've put myself on the same team. So now it's not their team against my team. It's our team making two different decisions. You know what this reminds me of? You remember two weeks ago when you were talking about Scientology arc triangle? Yes. You're literally using cult tactics to deprogram people from cults right here. <laughs> that's, that's uh, you know what? Yeah. Point taken. You're right. I am yeah. actually using cult tactics. No, like is, you're literally using the same, it, it wasn't the same exact analogy, but like it's almost pretty close. Things, yeah. Which is what I'm saying about this can turn manipulative real quick. Don't f-ing do that go back to square one and really think about, can you manipulate somebody out of a cult without continuing to manipulate them further than you need to? Do you have that reserve? Do you have that restraint? Anyway, the cults tell people, the IFB is super notorious for this. They tell people that being wrong or being unsure about something is dangerous and shameful. You need to cut through that by showing them that you can be wrong about something and not be ashamed of it. In the real world, it's a good thing when you learn something new. In a cult, you have to change a belief, then it's bad and embarrassing. You need you can't just tell them it's okay to be wrong. They're not going to hear that. They're going to millions and billions that. They're, they're, it's not going to get through their ear holes. You need to model for them by admitting to something that you were wrong about in the past and show that you are a safe person to be wrong or unsure around. Which is why I highly suggest using a real-world example of something that you are wrong about, not just making something up, if at all possible. You can't just verbally tell them 
They're not going to accept your words up against the words of their leader or pastor or whoever. What they are going to accept is evidence. You showing them evidence that between, at least between the two of you, between your heart and their heart, being wrong or being unsure is not a problem. If they admit to being wrong about something, they have to believe that you are not going to make fun of them, not going to shame them. You're not going to gotcha them. You're going to praise and support them. I've heard you talk about this before, how being in a cult means that you don't have to think about things because there's always a correct answer for everything. So when you were getting out, how difficult was it to come to terms with them? Because assuming they do end up on the path out, this is going to be something that they're going to have to to deal with. Yeah, it was extremely difficult. I, I think this is one of the reasons I struggle so much with creationism versus evolution, because creationism is we know this and evolution is science suggests these things and we're pretty sure about them, but we don't know exactly about a lot of it. But that thinking is just everywhere in the IFB about all sorts of topics. People will say that they know 100% for a fact that God is real. I never really quite got that. So have you ever had a personal conflict with a narcissist? I mean, you're raised in a cult. Of course you have. (laughs) I I don't even know why I asked that question. Why did I even ask that question? Like, if you ever have a personal conflict with somebody who no matter what, will never admit to ever having done anything wrong ever in their entire life. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's like that. So if you're arguing against somebody who will never, ever, ever admit to being wrong ever, and you admit to being wrong about something, then they can just take that thing that you're like, see, I've never been wrong. This guy was wrong about that and shame you for it be like, and use that as evidence. And no matter, you can be like, well, you were wrong about this. And they're like, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Like, that's just armor. Yes. And someone who's in a cult is probably surrounded by that type of person. So they're likely afraid of being wrong because in their day to day, if you're wrong or admit to being wrong or unsure, you get shamed. You get guilt tripped for not believing enough. You get that thrown back in your face. It's the type of thing that the so is that the type of thing the IFB would punish you for? Not like with violence, but like say, oh, this person's faith is not certain. We're taking away your leadership role in the choir until you get that straightened out. Yeah. If you admit to having questions or not being sure about something, there's a lot of guilting, shaming, gossip, loss of status. So you do a lot to try to prevent yourself from having a crisis of faith. You try to just thought control and emotion control your way out of it. If you do have a crisis of faith, you do a lot to try to hide it. And then you just shame yourself so that the other people don't catch wind of it. So if you're having a crisis of faith and word gets out, how long could that affect you for? Like, say you got it straightened out again. How long would people still be talking about it? So bankruptcy stays on your credit report for seven years. You're asking how long a crisis of faith stays on your IFB credit report? Yeah, basically. That's going to depend on your church, your community. It could be a really short time if they have a specific repentance ritual that you need to do like confessing in front of the church or fasting and praying for a certain number of days. It could also be a long time. It's up to the opinion of those in leadership. So if you're on their good list, uh, you can Dave Hiles your way out of it. If you're on your, if you're on the list, you're in for a bad time. So if you have a crisis of faith, like 23 and you're not like one of their favorite people, your pastor is really vindictive and manipulative. You or say your community is, they're really into the, the, the drama, the gossip, you could be 40 and they'd still be talking about the crisis of faith you had at 23. It depends on what you did during the crisis, who you told, and how strongly you're able to prove that you've bounced back to 100% blind faith. I would think Mm -hmm. that someone in that position would spend years trying to prove themselves, but if no one believed them after a few years, most of those people end up leaving 
before like i don't think 17 years is typical i think most people will try to like prove themselves for a few years and then not be able to handle it and end up leaving it is possible though what if you're like part of a family and your partner is still like all the way in and you're still dealing with that i mean yeah that could be mm-hmm. a, a very long-term rough thing oh that's a fine line that you've got to walk because you know in their perspective are are they going to be like are they going to go to the person who is unsure or the person who is sure right because if you admit okay well i'm unsure about this is okay to be unsure they're going to be like oh well maybe they'll go with that or are they going to just be like oh no this guy says he knows exactly what's going on i'm just going to go with him no see that's why you're looking for somebody who already has a doubt so cult Mm -hmm. person has a doubt cannot express it to anyone in their group you show them it's safe to to express doubts around me if you have any doubts that you ever feel like expressing now or in the future and then when that doubt is so great within their heart that they just cannot keep it inside anymore they are going to come to you because you're the only safe person they have to express that doubt around and you're validating their feelings and you're telling them that their insecurities are like normal Right. Yeah. And referring to a different point from earlier, this is why the process can take a long time. Starting to show them that it's okay to be unsure, that's probably not something you get to in the first conversation. So how do you build up to this? By asking questions, listening to what they have to say, showing them that you're trustworthy in general, that if they share anything with you, that it'll stay in confidence, that you don't have an agenda, which goes back to the first point about your bias. Don't do this if your agenda is to convert them into your way of thinking. If you do that hot take, if you do that, you're as bad as a cult leader. Mm. Your agenda should only be to get them away from the actual harmful points of view, things that are hurting them or hurting others. So if you're a left-leaning person like ourselves and you're talking to somebody who's caught up heavily into QAnon, your agenda can't be to turn them into a blocked-up sign-carrying water defender Antifa-aligned leftist. Like, sure, you might think it would be great if they did land there, but your agenda needs to be getting them to stop believing the conspiracy theories and the racism. If they end up a centrist Republican who wouldn't have voted for Trump, but probably would have voted third party because they can't see themselves ever voting blue, you got to be okay with that. Also, like, if you are a black block Antifa type person who is trying to deprogram a QAnon supporter, maybe go back to step one in this process and seriously consider whether or not you are the right person to be taking on this task. You Also... I think like if you think about political affiliations in binaries and view, you know, basic conservatives as identical ideologically to QAnon people, this is also probably not the job for you. You're going to need to not have this binary thinking. Yeah. If you're a person who has been posting on social media about boycotting the NFL, even though you don't actually like football to begin with, (laughs) probably not the job for you. If you regularly do or have ever done any behavior that is highlighted on the television program Portlandia, this also might not be the job for you. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm Jeff Foxworthy. You know, the, the, you might be a, a red. It's like, if you, <laughs> got me, got me, got me. I'm, I'm from, I'm from the South and, and from the Baptists. I know about Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> Funny guy. So <laughs> that being said, um, I don't know if I would call it deprogramming, I have pulled a person back from the brink of some of those QAnon type beliefs. I knew somebody who was very conservative, Trump fan, Republican voter, 
um, but not what I would call dangerous and certainly not what I would call in a cult. But they were just about to tip over the edge into some real QAnon shit. And I was, at, I don't know how they're doing now. I was able to pull them back from the edge for the time being, at least. Maybe permanently, I hope so. Not in super close contact anymore. But I got them off the edge. And that's all I did. Did not convert that person into, I don't, I don't think I converted that person into a Democratic voter or a, a gay rights activist or marching for BLM. But I did get them off the edge. And that's, that's, I think that's a really good example of, of what you're trying to do here. Uh, it's possible, you know, you, that you are the right person to do this. You need to consider the weight of this. If you want to hear about deprogramming white supremacists in particular, follow at Ellie Beaten It, E-L-L-I-E-B-E-A-T-I-N-I-T on Instagram. She does that. And she is an excellent example of a person who is doing this right. In these earlier conversations, uh, back to like the, the the process that you're going through. In these earlier conversations, you want to end the conversation with a few reminders. You're going to remind them that you care about them, that you want to keep your relationship as whole as you possibly can. Remind them that you're glad that they're sharing their opinions with you. I like to, here's how I walk that line. I like to phrase this as, it keeps me grounded to be exposed to opinions outside my own. Because that's absolutely true for me. I do feel grounded when I'm exposed to opinions that are more extreme on both sides than I am. Like I tend to follow people and, and listen to people who are both more religious than I and less religious than I, because I feel like that keeps me balanced where I want to be. And also it reminds the person that you're talking to that they don't have to limit themselves to inside information, which is nice. You remind them that you don't agree with the opinions that they've been sharing and that you haven't changed your mind, but that your investment is in them and their health and their safety. And your investment is not in trying to turn them to your exact way of thinking. You know what this reminds me of? You know how, and I'm sure you saw these posts on, <laughs> on, on social media during the, I want to say, like when Donald Trump was the president, I saw this stuff all the time from uh, my friends, you know, people saying, if you, so it, it, not if you support, like, but it wasn't even just if you support Trump, I don't want to be your friend anymore. It was like, if you think it, it, it was like, if you are like conservative, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Mm. Right. Like, and you would see like, you know, people getting very into these binaries. And one of the reasons why I think there is such a, the division that there is, is because people are like, like you said, with the, the arc uh, triangle with the shared reality, a lot of these people, like the issue isn't, that they're evil the issue is that they literally don't share the same reality as you right and and i feel like the only way to overcome that is find some parts of reality that you share yeah and you have to like and you have to try to build bridges with with people and, and right. see people as humans see people as individuals that are capable of free thought even if you don't think that they're using it properly and i'm not trying to tell you oh you have to go and make nice with your cousin who's a clansman but you don't. You, you don't. And nobody's telling you that you have to do anything. But, you know, I mean, it would be I mean, it, being kind to somebody is never a bad thing. Yeah. The way that I look at this is that there are some people who have put themselves out of the reach of reason. There are people whose reality is that they see is so different from what I see that I'm not going to be able to share reality with them. Uh, I don't need to feel obligated to save that person to be their knight in shining armor that fixes their brain. Because I have my own life to live. But 
if there are people that you can share a reality with, then if you are emotionally safe, if you are able to be kind and make a connection, it's a great thing to do. I don't think anybody should ever feel obligated, though. Yeah. And I certainly don't think, like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to bash, like, Nazi punchers because, like, somebody's got to punch them. There are also some people who are in a unique position to be nice to people who they massively disagree with and win over the ones that are able to be won over. Yeah. Punch the ones that are not able to be won over. That's their own fault for going so far that they are not able to be won over. There are some people who have the gift of winning over the people who are able to be won over. Okay. I think I got that out right. Yeah. But and also, you can't just call anybody that you don't like a Nazi. Yeah. Also, don't do that. Anti Semitic hot take there. I mean, it's not a hot take, but like <laughs> it, if if I go say that on the internet, then people get <laughs> mad at me. Ugh, but, you do, this podcast is on the internet, right? Y- yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You. I mean, granted, I've been guilty of this black and white thinking in the past, you know, back during like election season and shit, things were heated, man. Things were, and it's, you know, when things get heated, you find a tribe and you, you build up your walls and you build up your armor, but that's kind of what happens. Um, but I, I think we need to move on uh, this process though. So this person that we're trying to help, they've already got a bit of doubt. They've got a few cracks in the armor and obviously this will make things more effective, but is there like a different process for engaging somebody who is just like a hundred percent sold out blind faith in a whole hog? So the process that we've talked about so far, consider if it's really a cult, are they ready to rethink? Are you the right person to do this? Listen to their beliefs, show that they're, that you are safe to be wrong or unsure around, wait for them to expose their doubts, ask critical thinking questions, help them learn to think critically, make them think about things before going back to their leader or pastor, and then they have the opportunity to find their way out. That's kind of the 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 structure of the of what we've been talking about. In the situation where that person is really sold out to what they believe, this is going to be really hard for some people to hear. People are not going to like this because mm. it's hard. Do all the steps through the process. The process is going to naturally stall after the point where you show them that being unsure is safe because if they're 100% sold out, they've convinced themselves that they do not have doubts. So they are not going to expose doubts so that you can ask questions, hold their hand through critical thinking, help them find their way out. At that point, if it stalls after the point where you show that it's safe to be unsure or wrong, then they are still convincing themselves that there's nothing they have doubts or questions about. And you're just going to have to wait. You just maintain that point, everything that you've done up to that point. You just wait. You just stay there until they're ready to start exposing those doubts. You're going to be thinking, like, like assume it's going to be years. It might not be. It could be shorter. But, but mm. assume... Like, I find that, like, three to five years is a good assumption. This is a rough thing to say, but, you know, I mean, this is the reality of what this is. Like, some, I think I've explained on this show how somebody that's sold out has brainwashed themselves and understand that that's where they are. And, you know, if you're if you're still committed to the, the process of being there to help them. I mean, I know people who have gotten out who had family members waiting for them at that step for years. And... You've been there with friends. I've been there with people, like people that I cared about that I was waiting for. Yeah. And, and I I'm, had people waiting for me. Like I had a lot of people waiting for me at that step. So here's another question. And I think you may have some experience with this. Are men harder to deprogram than women? I do not think so. So the key to the deprogramming is letting somebody 
have their own doubts because you don't want to implant doubts into somebody's mind about their faith. I feel this feel like that's shitty and manipulative. Like I said, unless their life is in danger, you got to wait for that person to have a crisis of faith and then help them. Not not you don't implant thoughts into their head. You just help them think through their own thoughts. I don't think that men are less likely to have that crisis of faith. I think that men are less likely to be willing to express that crisis of faith because of societal programming in and out of cults that tells men to suppress and hide their emotions. And because of this, I think that women and femme people may be the ideal deprogrammers in a lot of cases. Ellie, who I was talking about just a minute ago, Ellie is a petite, attractive, blonde, feminine person. She is smart as a whip and she is such a tough cookie. But she talks about meeting up with white supremacists and having these conversations. And I think her appearance of femininity maybe contributes to her ability to disarm people because she doesn't look threatening. She doesn't look like somebody who's going to try to start a fight. And then her intelligence shines through and she's able to compassionately connect with people. I think a lot of men feel safer trying to connect emotionally with women than Mm -hmm. they do with other men. It's just societal programming. That's very um, true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it's not like an inherent truth about gender, I don't think, at all. I think it's just like, that's just, it's societal programming, but if you need to take advantage of it, you need to take advantage of it. So say you're in a group like the IFB, and they tend to raise men to believe that they are low-key, like, never wrong about anything. Is it going to be more difficult for them to realize that they are actually wrong about something? Strange how that works, huh? If you raise men to believe that they are never wrong when they think, hmm, I might be wrong, they're going to hide it because they think that something is wrong with them. If they're told that they have to be a leader, have to be an authoritarian, when they do have regular human emotions like doubt, they're going to hate themselves for doing the most normal thing. Thinking. When the thing that they have to admit that they're wrong about is the thing that is telling them that they are never wrong. You know, mm-hmm. like that's enough to that's enough to make your head spin. Like if it's the faith, it's like the men are the leaders, and you're like, well, I'm not sure about the faith. Does that mean that I'm not the leader? What? Like- not yeah, not to be a quote tweet here, but toxic masculinity hurts everyone. I want to end this episode by talking about what to do at the end of this. So, what if your family member has been in a cult? Their job, their family, everything they have is committed to this. They put years of their life into it. And you've gone through the process and eventually they've admitted to you that they no longer want to believe this and that they want out. Refer, please, to every single episode of this show to see just how much this person's life is going to be affected by this change. People will get all the way up to the point of wanting to leave and then turn around and stay in a cult because they cannot handle the logistics of getting out. Their livelihood, their job may be involved with this. Their personal property may be held hostage. They might be losing family members or close friends. There are a lot of things that a cult can use to try to hold on to people. And I've seen this happen. I have seen people be completely mentally and emotionally prepared to leave, but they cannot give up something on that list of things that I just listed. Also, this person has been through a major mental shakeup. They've had their entire worldview changed. They're in a very vulnerable place. Also, also, cults like to take away people's agency. So especially if they've been in for a few years, they may not feel like they have the executive function ability to put together a safety plan for leaving. They might not feel like they can handle the emotional impact of leaving. They may feel overwhelmed with anxiety and have panic attacks knowing that the cult is going to say terrible things about them or tell their friends that they leave behind that they're now going to hell because they left. If you committed to this process, you need to commit to being the person that can help them with this life change. 
This does not mean that you have to cross your personal boundaries. Okay, a boundary of mine, I need alone time to recharge. Having someone living in my house for more than a few days is a hard personal boundary for me. If I were helping somebody leave a cult, I would not be obligated to cross that boundary and have them move in with me for months. I should be helping them apply for social services if they need it, helping them find a job, driving them to job interviews, helping out any way that I possibly can without crossing my own boundaries. If you do successfully help somebody get to the point of being ready to leave a cult, they're leaving their framework and they're leaving their support network. You, It is okay if you cannot completely replace that framework and support network, but you need to at least help them build a new one. So I think that maybe after some time, uh, we should have an episode where we talk about what to do to help somebody after they have made the decision to leave, because that's a whole episode in and of itself. You know, maybe Evan will come back and talk to us about that, because not only was he a great guest and has a fantastic radio voice, he also does this professionally through the Vashti Initiative. So I'm sure that he would have a lot more specific knowledge than I do. Yeah, it'd be good to get him back on. Uh, Vashti Initiative published something that I wrote for them on Instagram recently. They had a survey type thing about what are you thankful for, for uh, Thanksgiving. And I said, I am thankful for the beautiful life I have been able to build and for my strength in building it for myself. I think that's a good note for us to end on. I thought that was, I thought that was that? nice yeah. and I appreciated them putting it on their Instagram. It made me feel really special. Yeah. So if you're listening to this uh, and you are thinking about trying to help somebody, make sure that you keep that in mind, that this is about helping them build their life uh, beyond that. Make sure that you tune in next week and join us next week because it is going to be the first of a two-part episode series on Satan. That's right. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Prince of Darkness himself, whatever you want to call him, we're going to talk about The him. guy my husband was yelling about in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. We're going to talk about the uh, IFB views on Satanism and uh, what Satanism actually is. And we're going to get into some panic, yeah. Satanic panic, backmasking, maybe if we have time. Oh, that's going to be we've got a lot of stuff planned. It's going to be super fun. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss this one. It's going to be so good. But until next time, uh, you can follow the Leaving Eden podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden podcast. Pod. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Uh, you can join our Patreon, and on the Patreon, we have extended and uncensored episodes for your perusal, as well as Sadie's writings. So if you are a fan of The Handmaid's Tale and you want to know what a real cult survivor thinks of The Handmaid's Tale, you can join our Patreon, and we have that available there sadie do you want to plug your social media sure you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music uh you can follow me on twitter at hell yeah sadie you can follow me on tiktok at sadie carpenter one and you can follow me on facebook instagram twitter and clubhouse at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n thank you so much and uh can't wait to join with you guys next week have a great day bye-bye
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 